Topical cream, a pod listener's dream. Unfucking the news and current events. Topical cream, yeah, you know what I mean. A quarter of an hour gets you our two cents. Topical cream. I am here because my ancestors persevered. I stand on the shoulders of my grandmother and my mother. And the work we will do with the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative will have a transformational impact on the generations who follow. In 1886, U.S. Indian agent Fletcher Coward described the difficulty in forcibly removing Apache children from their parents in an effort to send them to federal boarding schools. Quote, when called upon for children, the chiefs, almost without exception, declared there were none suitable for schools in their camps. Everything in the way of persuasion and argument having failed, it became necessary to visit the camps unexpectedly with a detachment of Indian police and seize such children as were proper and take them away to school, willing or unwilling. Some hurried their children off to the mountains or hid them away in a camp, and the Indian police had to chase and capture them like so many wild rabbits. End quote. Like so many wild rabbits. This excerpt is from the recently released report from the Department of the Interior under Secretary Deb Holland. The report is part of a coordinated effort to raise awareness of the Indian residential school system that was in place in the United States from 1819 to 1969. That's 150 years. We covered the movement in Canada called the Truth and Reconciliation Act established to come to terms with the genocidal past of the Canadian government in its treatment towards its First Nations people. In Canada, this is a serious effort. The discovery of mass graves sent shockwaves through Canada and brought the nation face-to-face with its horrific history. And while I said it's a serious effort, I didn't call it successful. It's hard to measure success when talking about a subject like this. But it generated an appropriate amount of horror among Canadians, many of whom were unaware of the practice of stripping children from their parents, oftentimes never to be heard from again. Here in the United States, it generated, well, not much of anything. Sure, there were a handful of news stories and major outlets, and there's been open speculation for years that the U.S. practice of kidnapping Native children was likely far worse in sheer numbers than in Canada. And yet, even though this devastating report, which I'll get into in a minute, is only days old as of this recording, it's all but disappeared from the headlines. So I won't be quoting from any of them, only native media sources for this episode. In terms of scope, here's Secretary Deb Holland detailing the range of the investigation. This department was responsible for operating what we now know to be 408 federal boarding schools across 37 states, or then territories, including 21 schools in Alaska and seven schools in Hawaii. 408 schools throughout the United States, Alaska, and Hawaii, all designed to strip Native children of their heritage, their traditions, language, and, in far too many cases, their lives. As the Lakota Times reports, the organized process began in earnest in 1819 with the passage of the Civilization Fund Act, 
quote, the act encouraged activities of benevolent societies in providing education for Native Americans and authorized an annuity to stimulate the civilization process. The Civilization Fund Act led to the formation of numerous Native American boarding schools toward the end of the 19th century. The benevolent societies were a combination of Christian missions where the U.S. federal funds were allocated to schools designed to educate Native Americans in the ways of the white man, end quote. The Lakota piece goes on to detail the legislative activities that gave the authority to agencies of the U.S. government to control and forcibly assimilate Native populations. The Bureau of Indian Affairs, for example, was created in 1824 within the War Department to place Native peoples, quote, in positions where they can be controlled and finally compelled by stern necessity, end quote. This broad authority included deputizing so-called Indian police to raid Native territories and take children away from parents. In 1920, the Indian Act made it, quote, mandatory for every indigenous child to attend a residential school and illegal for them to attend any other educational institution, end quote. The early part of the 20th century was an all-out assault on Native peoples. Whites were stealing land, what reports today called dispossession, and removing children at horrifying rates. At their peak, these residential schools housed tens of thousands of children, many of whom had little or no memory of where they came from. Upon entering, their heads were shaved. They were given uniforms to remove any physical vestiges of culture. They were punished if they spoke their native tongues, beaten if they tried to escape. Most were placed into forced labor. Many died and were buried at the schools, sometimes in marked graves, sometimes not. I'm going to move through a highlight of the report, but it's linked in show notes and in Substack, and I encourage you to read it if you get a chance. Of course, if you live in a state that discourages the teaching of racial history because it's too sensitive for little white ears to hear, I'll understand if you don't. The report opens up with a summary of the findings from the Interior Commission and identifies the 408 schools in question. It does, however, reveal that there are an unknown number of unaffiliated, sort of off-the-book centers that also took in children. The report gives the names of the schools, but it refrains from offering specific locations of known grave sites out of respect for the families and out of concern that these areas might even be vandalized. That, in and of itself, is a shame. But it does specifically point to 53 burial sites as of the report release with, quote, more discoveries and data expected as we continue our research. According to the research as of now, quote, the greatest concentration of schools in the federal Indian boarding system was in present-day Oklahoma with 76 federal Indian boarding schools, Arizona with 47 schools, and New Mexico with 43 schools, end quote. Now, in terms of the forced labor the children were subjected to, the report found that the labor included raising livestock, dairying, fertilizing, lumbering, brickmaking, and railroad construction. And a review of just 19 of the 408 schools revealed that there were more than 500 deaths attributed to just these schools. Over 500 American Indian, Alaskan Native, and Native Hawaiian children died at just these 19 schools. So if this ratio holds true for the balance of their investigation, that's more than 10,000 children who presumably died while in the care of the mostly Christian missionary schools funded by the U.S. government. Contrast this to what the U.S. discovered when it annexed Alaska in a deal with the Russians. Quote, 
When the U.S. government took over the Alaskan Territory from Russia, it was surprised at the level of education provided to the native Alaskan children. As the United States later acknowledged following the acquisition of Alaska, nearly all of them read and write. Many of them are highly educated, even in the classics. The administration of the Russian-American Fur Company, that was the company that actually administered the schools, often reposed great confidence in them. One of their best physicians was an Aleutian. One of their best navigators was an Aleutian. Their best traders and accountants were Aleutians, end quote. So when given the opportunity not to assimilate, but to attend Russian schools, Alaskan Native children thrived while maintaining their heritage. That was, of course, not the American way. Over the next century, the Russian schools were dismantled and Christian missionary schools were anointed by the federal government to administer schooling. So, quote, in 1953, when the department invited the University of Pittsburgh to study health care in the territory of Alaska, the resulting Parent report found few federal Indian boarding schools had physical facilities that could be considered modern or even desirable. Some were fire traps. Children were housed in basements and attics, although legal capacity was not exceeded. In fact, crowding was commonly observed. The same scenario played out in Hawaiian territory. Quote, the United States has concluded that at the time of European arrival to the Hawaiian Islands in 1778, the native Hawaiian people lived in a highly organized, self-sufficient subsistence social system based on communal land tenure system with a sophisticated language, culture, and religion. Once again, we came, we saw, we fucked everything up. Christian missionary schools were here again employed in Hawaii to convert children to Christianity to eradicate their language, history, religion, and culture. An article in Indian Country Today details the efforts of several indigenous groups to coordinate resources in support of the Interior Department plan to document every child that passed through these schools, though it acknowledges the difficulty in doing so. For this fiscal year, at least, the Biden administration has allocated funds to this end. This report lays the groundwork for the continued research and work of the Interior Department to address the intergenerational trauma and consequences of federal Indian boarding school policies. And with the recent, recent congressional investment of $7 million for this effort in fiscal year 2022, we are grateful to have much-needed resources to continue the work. Now, when you consider the sheer volume of data and on-the-ground investigations that have to happen, Seven million will hardly make a dent, but it's a start. Proponents of the research are also hopeful that Congress will adopt H.R. 5444 and Senate 2907, paired bills titled Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding Schools Policy Act. This bill, while nowhere near the scope and magnitude of the Canadian TRC, is a valid start because it sets in motion a discussion that needs to happen if we're ever going to develop a proper and righteous nation-to-nation approach to healing such severe wounds. Here's the summary of the bill. Among other duties, the Commission must investigate the impacts and ongoing effects of the Indian boarding school policies, federal policies under which American Indian, Alaskan Native, Native Hawaiian children were forcibly removed from their family homes and placed in boarding schools. Further, the Commission must develop recommendations on ways to, one, protect unmarked graves and accompanying land protections, two, support repatriation and identify the tribal nations from which the children were taken, and three, discontinue the removal of American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian children from their families and tribal communities by state social service departments, foster care agencies, and adoption agencies. 
So while I said it's a valid start, it's obviously nowhere near what's required to make meaningful change. First off, it's very light on policy. There's no talk of funding, no talk of restoring dispossessed land, no talk of remuneration, no reparations, just broad language referring to research and recommendations. And again, I have no problem with that, so long as it's acknowledged as a beginning, a first step. Honestly, this legislation couldn't be more benign, but it sends a signal to our native siblings that we see them. And what I can't understand is how such a toothless bill would even be perceived as partisan. With so little being said about this bill or the department's findings, how would I know that this is a partisan issue? There are 57 co-sponsors in the House, but only six are Republican. The two at-large congresspeople from Alaska and South Dakota, two from Oklahoma, one from Virginia, and the rep from American Samoa. Over in the Senate, there are 22 co-sponsors, and only one is Republican, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. This isn't a partisan issue. It's a matter of reconciliation, of dignity, literally the bare minimum, laying the groundwork to help find the bodies of children. How does a bill like this not fly through both houses with unanimous support? There's a website linked in the notes that lists the ways in which you can advocate for this issue. But if that's too much to ask, I'm also going to drop a link to an online petition on ResistBot. If you're a Twitter person, please at your congressperson and ask them to jump on as a co-sponsor and vote for the bill. You know, there's a lot of talk these days on the right about protecting children. Well, these children never stood a chance. They never had a chance. Are the memories of 10,000 native children not strong enough for us to put our differences aside to do the absolute minimum in our power to bring some closure to the families of these children? No matter how distant these memories might be, are we really that callous? The bill is H.R. 5444, and your support is appreciated. See you this weekend.